Our meditation tonight comes from Luke chapter 2, which has already been read in your hearing. If you are like me, you've experienced a phenomenon this year and now seems to be too common. In fact, it seems to happen every year in greater earnest, so much so that I perhaps can no longer call it a phenomenon, but rather a nature of life. And that is, each year seems to get quicker and quicker and shorter and shorter. I know it's Christmas Eve, that's what the calendar says, that's what the front of your worship guide says this night, but my internal clock says otherwise. Surely it's not Christmas already, nor the end of the year. To me, it still feels awfully a lot like September. And I don't think I'm alone. And that's what makes time such an interesting concept, isn't it? On the one hand, it's a fixed reality. And we all have the same amount of time, the same amount of hours and days and months and a year. And yet there is seemingly a subjective nature to time and how we experience it. At times it can go extremely quick and other times painfully slow. I know for all of the children tonight, tomorrow perhaps feels like an eternity away because you cannot wait. And you're probably thinking, Pastor Joel, hurry up so that I can get to Christmas and get to my presents. I understand. But for the rest of us, we're perhaps saying, can we slow things down just a little? Can we just take a a few moments perhaps to catch our breath? Well, in this night in the time that is given. And children, I will try to keep it somewhat brief, and I'm sure your parents will appreciate that too. I want to contemplate this mention of time in our passage from Luke chapter 2, and in so doing, really grasp the significance of our time together this night. For these words are so familiar, and we pass over them so quickly without even thinking where we read, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. You hear those words, don't you? The time came. It seems like an innocuous enough of a statement. Might even say, well, of course, the time came. The time nine months of gestation had taken place, and so The occasion would come for the baby to be born. And just like you and I were born in time, so too Christ was born. But there is more to this statement than the passing of time or the events that happened. In fact, the Apostle Paul commenting on the birth of Jesus writes this in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. You hear what Paul says. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When? At the fullness of time. There's something incredible about that statement. There's something incredibly significant of the birth and the incarnation of Christ. That which we celebrate this night and tomorrow. That it was not just another event It was not just the passing of time. 
It wasn't even the fulfillment of a pregnancy. It was the fullness of time. It was the fulfillment of time. You could even say it was the completion of time itself. In other words, all other past time pointed forward to this time. And all time past and present and future now points back to this event. Paul is saying this is the epicenter of time itself. God sending forth his son to be born of a woman is the essence of time itself. It is the time that gives all other time meaning and significance. That is what Luke is getting at in Luke chapter 2, that this was not just a time, this was the time. You could perhaps even put it this way. Just like we speak of Jesus being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so we can speak of his incarnation and his birth as the time of times, the superlative time. How is it that we can make such claims? How is it that this event has such significance? Well, it's wrapped up in the one that was and the one that is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so this was not just another birth. This was the birth of the Son of God, the God incarnate, the one that came in the flesh, for he was and still is both God and man. Just as the Apostle John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning, with God. Or perhaps we can put it another way. In the light of this verse tonight, in the beginning of time was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And before there was time, He was with God. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was before time. Indeed, He was above time. He was and is the Lord of time. He is the one that invented and created time. And yet, before the creation of the world, he planned that the redemption of the world would take place in this way, that he would enter into this world, that he would be made one of us, like us, a creature, a part of his creation. So much so that John can go on to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelling among us, therefore, he would have the same limitations that we would have. In other words, he would be bound by time. No longer being above time. But now in the flesh. Being under time. And in time. And so when Luke says in Luke chapter 2, the time came. It means that the eternal one entered into time. He entered into our hours and into our days. And he himself now had days that were numbered just like ours. And so this time, this incarnation of the Son of God, this birth of the Christ child started the clock, so to speak. And so, do we see how momentous this event is? How momentous this celebration is that we celebrate this night and again tomorrow 
It was the event that was planned in eternity amongst the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It was the event that all creation has been longing for since its creation. It's the event that the angels have yearned to see. It's the event that the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, and David hoped for. It's the event that the one that the prophets prophesied about. It's the one that Mary and Zechariah has sang about in Luke chapter 1, that in the remembrance of his mercy to our fathers Abraham and to his offspring forever. All coming to fruition in this moment. All summarized in those words, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to a son. And yet, as we read the words of Luke chapter 2, as you know the scene so well, the silent serenity almost lulls us to sleep, so much so that we almost begin to think that it was just another event, because it all happened with such little fanfare, other than a few barn animals that were disturbed because of these unwanted guests, and a few lonely shepherds out in the field, no one would have known of this great and momentous event taking place in time. And so just as we sang just moments ago, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Surely the greatest event in time, we would think, could not, would not happen without anyone taking the time to notice. And yet that is exactly what we read. We can even take it one step further and say, humanly speaking, this was not a good time for the Christ child to be born. Judea was under Roman occupation. We read those famous words that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Judea was underneath the rule of Caesar Augustus, a pagan emperor. The title Augustus was reserved for gods, the Roman gods. But that's exactly what this Caesar saw himself as, as a god on earth. One that would not care for the ancient fulfillments of some supposed prophecies of long ago who like Herod in Judea would see such news of a king being born as a threat. And yet he sent all in his empire to be registered, ultimately to demonstrate his rule and his reign so that he could boast how many people would be in his empire and of course to make sure that they all paid their fair share of taxes to him. It was under that subjection that the Son of God came into this world. Surely not a good time to send forth the sun, especially since this census would require long, treacherous travel, especially for a full-term pregnant woman, putting their lives and the pregnancy in peril. And yet they went, Mary and Joseph, to this small town of Bethlehem, where they had no room for weary travelers. Only a small stable for a shelter. 
and a manger for a bed. Surely this could not be the ideal situation for such a birth as this. And this child, the greatest gift to mankind, the fulfillment of all time, was sent to be born not to royalty, but peasants. A blue-collar carpenter from Galilee and a young teenage soon-to-be wife. One who didn't even have the proper necessities for a child. Just mere swaddling cloths, strips of cloth to wrap him in. No, surely this was not the right time. And yet, what we read incredulously is that it was the time. The time ordained by God from the foundation of the earth. It was the fulfillment of time. It was the fullness of time. It was the time that had come for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a son and wrapped him in those strips of cloth, those swaddling cloths, and laid him in a makeshift bed, a manger. And that is the scene, which truly is the greatest scene of human history. Outwardly, yes, it does not look like much. Just two weary travelers in the outskirt of Jerusalem, excited and yet bewildered, that had given birth to a son, one in which and who looked like any child, a chubby, wrinkled, crying baby. And yet, if we have the spiritual eyes to see, if we have the eyes to see this night, if we are redeemed men and women, if we have the vision of angels, we see that this is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who did not abhor the virgin's womb, but was rather robed in flesh and became one with our blood forever. Indeed, this is the greatest event of humankind. But why? Why did he come? Why would he do all of this? Surely he did not need to. Nothing did he gain from it that he did not already have. Well, as we go back to the Apostle Paul's words, he tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To hear what Paul says, that he came, he was sent to redeem. In other words, he stepped into time so that lost sinners like you and me, those that have rebelled, those that have selfishly used time and used it for ourselves, wasting time, squandering time, oftentimes for our own pleasures, much like the prodigal of old, rather than glorifying and serving God with our lives and our times. Yes, it was for them, for the likes of you and the likes of me, that God sent his son, the begotten son, in the fullness of time to save and rescue and redeem sinners. And that is what makes this birth, this event, like no other. It puts 
all of life into perspective, doesn't it? It's the lens in which we must view everything because in it all makes sense and without it nothing makes sense. Through it, he has redeemed you and me from ourselves and from this world and from our sin. In it, he redeemed time itself. He's turned us from self-seekers and self-pleasers to God-seekers and God-pleasers, all for his glory and for his honor. That is the very reason that we were created. He has come to redeem us. And in due time, that is exactly what has taken place. We're redeemed by the flesh and blood of Christ who came in time, on time, at Christmas time. And so that brings us to this time, the night of this Christmas Eve. God has given us this time to think and to meditate and to ponder on this incredible truth. Indeed, in the silence and stillness of this night, to take a few moments from the hustle and bustle of the last several days and even weeks, to take time from the prepping and preparing and cooking and cleaning and wrapping of gifts that no doubt all of you have been involved with, to contemplate this incredible birth that is as relevant to us this night as it was when it first happened, so that we would not miss it. As so many did on that time, and so many still do in our time, Because just like on that first night, so this night, most of the world misses the significance of this event and of this birth. For most, it's just another Christmas, another day on the calendar, perhaps filled with tinsel and trappings and sentimentality, but nothing more. But do you, this night, see and understand it to be more? Do you see this as the fulfillment, indeed the fullness of time, the redemption in time, the redemption of time, the redemption of you and me in the midst of a lost and dying world? My friends, that's what makes all the difference. So in the silent contemplation of this night, with your hearts and your mind aglow like the candles before you, Be filled with the wonder and awe of the praise and glory of our God for coming in time to save the likes of you and me, not just for a time, but for all of eternity. Because it is indeed in this contemplation that this time, like that time, is the most significant of all times. For in the birth of Jesus comes our new birth in Christ. The new birth of all the saints, past and present and even perhaps future. Until time is complete. And the last seconds of this present world's clock comes to an end. And the Lord comes back to redeem his bride the bride which is the church of Christ that has been made ready to be fully redeemed in the fullness of time. Indeed, that is what we celebrate this night. And so I hope you are a part of it. 
And by a part of it, I mean that this night and every night and every day that the Lord gives us minutes and hours and days and months and perhaps years, we can say with Luke, with Mary, with Joseph, that when the time came for her to give birth, she gave birth to a son born for me and born for you. That is, my friends, the merriest of Merry Christmas indeed. And so to you and yours, Merry Christmas in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.